is our illustrious King Julian, self-proclaimed Lord of the Lemurs, etc., etc. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the pilot episode of the King Julian Podcast. I am your host, Julian. Um, I will be here for a very long time. Hopefully, we'll see what happens before I get overthrown. Uh, we'll see. But this is my pilot episode. And with me, I had to bring up somebody that I think would really bring a really good conversation to on the board. So without further ado, my first guest ever on that podcast will be Derek Lewis. Derek, how are you doing today? What up, man? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, Football season started, so we were checking a little bit of that out. But other than that, you know, just kind of easing my way in to, uh, to the sports. I was just going to say, because you are a sports writer, is that right? Uh, yes, technically. I, you know, I, I, I guess I'm a washed-up sports writer at this point, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's technically my profession, correct? <laughs> no, you're good, dude. So let me ask, have you caught any of the action this past weekend? from whether it's our alma mater, University of Texas, whether it's any of the professional games. Did you catch any of it? Uh, I caught a little bit of the uh, the Cowboys game. Uh, well, I caught all the Cowboys games. Excuse me. That was the last game. I, I caught a little bit of that Saints game. For whatever reason, Sean Payton, <laughs> he just does not give a care about Bruce Arians. And- <laughs> yes. I caught a little bit of that. Um, oddly enough, I'm kind of staying away from college football this year, just okay. on, on a personal level. I just don't know that I think that these unpaid athletes should be out here doing this during COVID. Uh, so okay. I've just decided I'm not watching, but that, that's a personal thing. I'm not trying to just make any moral equivocations for other people who I are still their, uh, their football, uh, their college football. But yeah, I, I caught a couple of the games and catch everything. Cause I, I had a, uh, I had a gender reveal party as a boy. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Just to clarify, not my, not, not yours, my, but yeah. But I was at, at a gender reveal party, and they're having a ball. Wow, that's awesome! Well, to those people, congratulations on that. If they're ever going to watch the podcast, so well, let me ask this. Well, I'm a huge Cowboys fan, so unfortunately, watching Ramsey play one of the biggest bluffs in a big momentum game like that, I'm I'm not going to get on that high horse. And like you, I'm kind of like I would say I'm conflicted with what's going on with college football because at one point like you said moral ambiguity just because of everything that's happening in the world i'm like you're not getting paid you're spending billions of dollars on these kids to let them play football or play any sport without really the safety net especially what they're doing in oklahoma which we won't get into p.s anybody who's an ou fan i have to just say ou sucks because ut um but yeah, I'm I'm kind of conflicted with you as well, Derek. But other than that, I'm I've caught almost every football game professionally last night. I mean, Sunday night, and the most heartbreaking one, of course, is the Cowboys game. Um, Could have kicked it in the beginning, the midway of the fourth quarter, and then you literally let Ramsey get away with one of the biggest bluffs so far in terms of offensive pass interference. But we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to discuss that. So, anyways, Derek. Um, and really, we have a, speaking of like our episode today is going to be talking about friendships, relationships, things of that nature. So since you wanted to bring it up and I wanted to ask you, I, I know we both went to UT and we both went at different times. I came into UT the year you graduated UT. And so with the organization we were in, which was Texas Student Television, which was one of the student-run television programs at UT, how was your experience there and how did your friendships or your relationships get you to where you are now in your, in your sports world? Uh, well, T- TSTV, you know, frankly saved my broadcast career, my journalism career, because oh, wow. uh, I, it's an interesting story, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it won't be interesting. <laughs> We're going to tell it. We'll find out. Uh, when I first got to UT, I, I, I wasn't, I was a basketball player in high school and that's all I wanted to do was be a basketball player so okay. I didn't really have a backup plan so when I was like oh hey you're not good enough to be a basketball player past this point I was like what am I gonna do and I just so happened to uh, I had a camera my my best friend's brother was graduating and I, I was filming the one of his graduation dinners and I was just going around being kind of a goof and and getting people on camera and his mom was like hey you're really charismatic you should just you should do that and I was like I, sh- okay. I will 
That's it. That's what I'll do. And so I go to UT. They're like, hey, man, you ain't got no experience with this. So you're going to be in the liberal arts program and you'll just sit there until we let you into this program. And for like the first two years of college, I just was not about that college life in terms of making myself a schedule, going to class, doing the requisite amount of studying. And so I, I literally almost failed. Um, luckily, I got into tech student television. I just happened to attend one of their um, one of their group meetings, recruiting things, and uh, I got into it. I was able to kind of get a head start at practicing some of the craft and whatnot. Uh, the then station manager, who was at that time the one, the, a former station manager who was at that time the sports director, uh, Taylor Rush, he kind of took me under his wing and whatnot and gave me a letter of recommendation so I could get into the journalism program. Okay. Uh, so without Texas Student Television, I probably wouldn't be doing any of the things that I'm doing, I, I've done or, or will do, uh, because they, they, they uh, quite frankly, saved my college career. And then I was able to get into the broadcast program, and I was able to graduate and do all of that fun stuff. Um, so um, it's been instrumental, man. Uh, the experience that you get there is invaluable. Just the hand, you get to do hands-on. You're basically you're running things yourself. Even if, you know, you have a sports director, they still trust the volunteers to do a lot and to plan a lot. And so that's, that's instrumental. And then my biggest job, um, I was a Seattle Seahawks writer for 24 seven sports. It came because of a connection that I had at UT, not necessarily with TSTV, uh, but with, uh, the daily Texan, their former oh, sport. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so it, it, that connection is the reason I got the biggest job that I've had thus far in my career. Um, I've since been laid off from that job, so you know. It's, it's, but I mean, it was a great experience, and I I got to work for CBS Sports. That's it's you know that's an amazing experience. That's a very great experience, and I was just gonna say one of my biggest things. I was gonna say what TSTV was just the experience of it all. Um, like you said, four years ago, which is crazy enough, and I'm gonna I'm gonna expand on this a little bit later in just a moment, but. It was so crazy to me when I first went to UT, I was like, I want to be a director. I want to start writing. I want to start producing. And when I was in high school, that's all I kind of knew about was basically doing programs and like communication programs at my high school in Beaumont. And so that was something I always was interested in. And for me, I didn't, I was same like you, liberal arts, didn't know what, if I was going to get into communications or not. And I was just trying to figure my way up and try to do something to help with that experience. And TSTV was the third day of me being on campus and literally they caught me out of nowhere. It was like, you should be in, you got this great, amazing personality for me. And I'm like, sure. All right, let's see what happens. And four years later, I would honestly say the reason why I would, I still love podcasts and the reason why I talk, unfortunately, my friends can tell you I talk so much is because of that. And my love for sports grew and my experience for what I love doing or the idea of knowing that I love podcasting, love just talking in front of the camera was something that I couldn't take from. And my experiences with UT, um, with Texas Student Television helped me get to UTLA my final semester in college. And those two experiences, those four years in that semester in UTLA was absolutely one of the best experiences I've ever had. Long story short, people who don't know, UTLA is University of Texas at Los Angeles. They give you a semester to go in Los Angeles intern somewhere and basically get your foot into the film industry and i enjoyed that i loved it however i didn't know if i wanted to be in a backhand of business in the film industry which is hence why i'm still in austin right now just figuring my life out as it goes but i would honestly say that i met some of the best people at texas student television and ironically enough that's how i met you like we like i said we were a year apart from each other he was graduating ut i was coming into ut and for me, I was, it was only three of us, three black guys who were in Texas Student Television. So I've always been hearing about this guy named Derek, this dude who's charismatic, who's fun, who brings a lot of energy into Texas Student Television in the sports department. And I'm like, who's Derek? Why? Like Everybody brings up Derek. And I'm like, who is Derek? And so I've stumbled upon you, I think my freshman year of college when Jordan, who was my sports director at the time, was like, hey, you should go and like talk to him and have some pointers because it was gonna be my first time hosting. And if I remember correctly, I kind of asked you a couple of questions, how to navigate certain things and your help in the beginning stages of my college career were so like so tremendous for me. And that's how I think I was able to build a show at Texas Student Television that's not there anymore. Um, oh. and, <laughs> yeah, 
long story, but like I learned how to basically just be myself. And if it wasn't for your wisdom and learning, which we won't have to get into it later, but your stands on things and the way you are unapologetic about your stances, I always admired that. And I've always strived and saw what you were doing on Facebook. And I've always watched that and always was like, wow, if there was somebody I wish I would have met while I was at UT was you. And so for this to be opportune moment to have you on my podcast i just want to say thank you for doing that and i really do appreciate that derek so just want to say thank you for helping me at least as a freshman and sophomore at texas student television that's crazy you see because you don't like when i first got to to ut uh, and when i first got to texas student television i was i'm uh, i'm a very introverted guy at first i'm kind of always surveying the landscape and so i don't really talk that much when i first get to a place and then you know slowly but surely like the personality comes out so it took me a long time to kind of get comfortable in front in that setting and even like uh, there's a a moment that used to live on in in tscv lore but i think probably now it's gone because no one who was there is there to tell the tale but uh (laughs) my first time on television i literally was on sports on news for the uh kvr which is their news program for this tscv and i walked off set i i fumbled I fumbled all of my line, all of my uh, prep. I didn't call highlights. I froze up on camera. They had to cut the segment short. It's live. So they literally just kind of kick it back to the anchors. And literally, I was so frustrated, I walked off on live television. And that was my first kind of just choking on television. And so, like, to have that experience and to kind of make my way through the ranks and kind of be someone who was in a position to kind of have someone come up to me and be like, Hey, I need advice. I, I, I'm being going to be honest with you, man. I don't remember that conversation at all, <laughs> but at the same time, it is kind of what I'm all about. Like someone comes up to me, I'm going to give them, you know, I'm going to try to help them. I'm going to try to set an example. And I'm going to try to, uh, what's the best way to say this? I'm going to try to tell them to just be themselves. Um, because at the end of the day, that's kind of all television is. It's kind of all, acting is in a certain way is it's just being comfortable enough to be vulnerable and once you get into that vulnerable state that is valuable and that's why i run that's why i, I run my facebook that's why i put stuff on <laughs> because i think that vulnerability is is valuable and it, it helps uh it helps people to know that people are thinking things similar to what they're thinking that they feel some of the things that they that they felt that they're going through problems as well um, social media can be somewhat, somewhat disingenuous and inauthentic. Oh, and yes. I try to live a life that is, for whatever reason, very publicly not that. Um, I'm not sure why. <laughs> I'm not sure why I'm the way that I am, but it's just the best way for me to go throughout life. And so, uh, honestly, even though I don't remember the conversation, I'm glad that I was able to give you something that, that helped you um, because that is literally why I do any of the things that I do is to help other people. And I appreciate that a lot, even though you don't remember it. Like, I, I appreciate that a lot from the authenticity from all these years. Like I said, you are somebody that I looked up to and watching you say certain things and your stances on things. And, you know, like you were saying a moment ago, like these, I feel like for me, especially coming almost three years out of, no, it's been over three years. God, I'm old. Now, three years past my... <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you understand. So I was just gonna say, like, how I'm navigating now with my life. I feel like if it wasn't for the relationships and the friendships that I was molding inside of Texas Student Television and the friends that I've graduated got with at UT, I wouldn't believe that I would be the person that I am now. And so, onto your point, I was gonna ask you now at this point in your life, where you know we're all going through the same thing right now in terms of the pandemic and things of that nature. At your aspect of your sports career and in your aspects of life, what would you preface more, your friendships and the people that you grew with and the people who help you get to this point or your drive, I would say, as you were saying, your drive to succeed and help others is the reason why you are where you are right now? I, I would definitely uh, probably give a lot of credit mostly to the people in my life, whether that be family, friends who have become family, uh, relationships like that, um, just because, uh, you know, this you, everything in life is about uh, connections with people. Yes. Um, 
you, you kind of realize that as you go about it is that the things that people impart on you and how they shape you you from even when you're in you're in high school when you're in college those things stick with you and they kind of form um the person that you are for instance when i was in when i was a kid in in uh in elementary school i got bullied um and even though i try to separate that past from my mindset it does affect kind of all the things that i do and how i think um in terms of i have a somewhat of a chip on my shoulder and that's because i'm always trying to prove that i'm worthy of of being somebody because what it during my formative years people were telling me i was not worthy and so that's kind of that kind of sticks with me Uh, but i'm blessed that i have a really uh strong uh support system uh, in terms of uh, my best friend um, who's kind of is he's kind of the polar opposite of me and he kind of bounces me off I'm very I'm kind of I can be kind of high strung um, and he's very calm I, I, I can be kind of rigid sometimes in my stances and he's a little more flexible I'm a little more liberal he's a little more conservative though I'm not trying to make it seem like he's a Trump supporter so let me be <laughs> more conservative than very liberal human and so that's not that's there's you know if you're if you're right of me you're you're, you're probably still pretty well pretty liberal yourself still most likely but um and so we we balance each other and that's that kind of that's helped me find more perspective throughout my throughout my life and help me be a lot less of a of a, of a rigid person and a lot more um community because he's a lot more extroverted i'm a lot more introverted and so, uh, you know, those relationships have kind of helped form um, a lot of the relationships with with women that I have. Um, I, I'm, I'm blessed to have a lot of uh, good uh, uh, women in my life that have helped me kind of, you know, as a, as a kid, it was rough, man. Um, and I, when I mean, when I say kid, I mean, like early college years, we were going down a little bit more of a sexist past. And and luckily, I had a lot of women in my life who were willing to put up with some of the nonsense that I put them through, but also their mindset and them just kind of talking me through some of these things helped me grow as a person. And eventually, I got to a, a better place in, in that in that mindset. So I, I definitely would say anything that has happened that is good in my life has come in some way from the relationships that I've built with others. And I understand that. So let me, so let me little dive deeper. So how long you and your best friend have been friends? Like how long have you guys been like best friends? Like you would say literally, like if nothing happens that you guys were best friends, how long have you guys been like that? Uh, he, I've known, uh, I know my best friend Daniel since, uh, I was in first grade. Yeah. Oh, we, wow. uh, we went to the same church. I apparently, and I don't remember the story, but apparently I, his brother Dion, who I'm also close with, but, but he was, he's not my best friend, <laughs> is that, is that uh, I was, I was gonna hang out with him. Apparently I just happened to see Daniel and then we just started hanging out and apparently Dion got kicked to the curb, which unfortunately for him, but uh, he's, what it is. he's a lot older than us. So he didn't need to be hanging out with us anyway. I'm just, <laughs> he's like two or three years older than me and uh, me and Daniel are the same age. And so, yeah, we've been friends ever since. And it was funny because I, I was such a, like a, a timid child. And for a long time, I was just like, I don't think this dude actually enjoys my company. I just think he doesn't know how to tell me to to go the hell away. And like, I was like, well, he's my best friend, but I don't think I'm his best friend. And one time we had this talk and I was like, Hey man, you're my best friend. You know that? And he's like, yeah, duh. And I was like, Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a friend. And so, and so, yeah, we, we, and so we've been getting into shenanigans since the first grade. And there's a lot of, we have a lot of stories. There's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, we it, currently we we actually do a podcast together ourselves uh, along with two of my other friends and so uh, we, it's a, it's been a fun ride. Okay, we're gonna definitely get into that a little bit later in a moment. But I was gonna say that's quite interesting and it's it's funny to me. I wish I had all my friends in elementary school, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, I thought I really had some friends that were in high school that I would consider really great friends for me, but for me, I would have to I would have to agree with the exact same thing for my friends. All my friends that I got at UT, um, one of them is a photographer. The other is very introverted. So for me, I'm kind of an extrovert. And a lot of people say that as well. Like I, my mom always told me, and it's scary to say this now, but it's so true. I can make a rock my best friend. That's how much like extroverted I am. And I never understood that until when I was a freshman in college, literally every weekend, somebody would be like, oh, wow, 
I like you. I want to be friends with you or try to message me and stuff like that. So it was kind of weird to be that person, but also be timid because for me, being in a new environment, being, you know, not stuck, but being four hours away from home, not having anybody you could fall back on or anybody that you could rely on. I kind of got timid for about a year. And until I met my best friend, he is basically who I was in high school. Literally, everybody knew who he was. He has this persona where he's just like, I come in a room, I love to make an entrance. And I'm like, now at the age that I'm at now, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do all of that anymore. When I was a kid, it was cool. When we were in college, it was cool. But sometimes I'm like, I just want to just chill. You know, I just want to just be like, I want to get dressed, just go somewhere, go get a drink, which I can't right now, and be able to just call me, be recollective. But him and I have been thick and thin for almost seven years now. And God, yeah, again, I feel old now. It's been seven years and we've been thick of thieves and we've literally helped each other through everything. And it's, it's something that I'm blessed to have because literally when I was going through almost not getting dropped out of UT, but going through one of the worst semesters I've ever had, going through some things in my family life, going through just a lot of personal issues I was dealing with back in my college years. He was the person I could rely on somebody who helped me mold and helped me grow. And especially my family, my cousins and my mom, um, especially after college. I don't know if anybody can agree with this, but like the post-grad depression is a real thing, people. Like something so surreal. And if it wasn't for them navigating and helping me through my life, I don't know if I could be still here. Like I, I love them to death for what they have done for me in this life. I mean, this like last seven years helping me stride me through it. And for me now being kind of back to where I was, it's something that I can't grab off. I can't like thank them enough and acknowledge them enough for how much they have got me to like an idea of who I used to be. And I, and I love them for that. And they know that for now. And if you guys are listening, yes, you know who I'm talking about. Yes. You can gloat about it in our group chats, but whatever. Um, but to your, and I was going to say with your, with that being in mind, you were talking about like how you were growing up and how, it's going to be the honest truth, how we as men had this kind of idea of what a relationship was or like our, our sexist ideas, right? And the women that was in our lives kind of shifted our narrative or shifted our eight way of thinking. And I wanted to ask you with those, with the women that you, I would call it trial and error, but the women that were in your life in the past and whatever relationships that you're going on with now, do you think that they aided you in a more positive aspect of how you can treat women, how you can date women or anything like that? Yeah, I think uh, growing up, um, especially as a, as a black man, you there's a certain idea of who you're supposed to be, um, of, of how you're supposed to date. Uh, you, you know, there's this idea that you're supposed to kind of, you know, be, you know, suave and kind of, you know, uh, ladies man. And, you know, I would go to church sometimes and people would be like, I bet the women are, are falling all over you. And I'm just like, they're, they're not. They're not. <laughs> yeah. and, um, it was weird because I'm like this gangly tall kid with glasses. I'm like, I don't understand why you would think that. And they're not. So I'm right. You're wrong. And uh, I, w- I definitely would describe my kind of growing up through high school and, and college as a very stereotypical, like kind of nice guy where I was very, I would press very hard on trying to get a woman to like me. And then once they were like, well, he's trying very, very hard. <laughs> I would be like, they would pull back and be like, well, we can just be friends. And then I would just be like, I, I don't want to be friends in my head. I wouldn't say that out loud because I'm not that, that, that's that, your that, idea of what you I'm not that kind of a person. And so then in my head, I'm just mad because they just want to be friends. And I'm like, I don't want to be friends. And like, I had to learn that, <laughs> that female friendship is very valuable. And I didn't value that at all when I was in high school, when I was in college, because I was so focused on the things that I didn't have. I wasn't in a relationship. I wasn't, you know, I I was a virgin in high school. I I, I felt very emasculated by these things because of the perception that I had to be this certain way. And that's why specifically college and getting around other people and getting more women and just kind of trial and error, keep continuously failing, continuously somewhat being that nice guy and getting told, hey, you're you're kind of messing up this whole thing. I've lost so many uh, female friends that could be 
you know, in my life right now, but I just did not value them in the way that I should. And it took me a long time to kind of get over that mindset of I needed to be a certain way. I needed to have relationships with women in a certain way. And it just, it was, it was strangling um, my capacity to be a, a good human, first off, be a good friend, secondly, and then see if I was to find a, 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 a woman who wanted to date me, I would be a terrible boyfriend because of just my mindset. And so all those things were being strangled at once because of just this idea that if I have to be friends with a woman, that's a failure. Once I kind of got over that, everything else kind of fell into place. And even though, you know, I, I still haven't had that much success with women in terms of I've only had uh, one steady girlfriend since being out of college. Um, we actually we dated last year and we had to break up because it was a long distance thing. But despite that, I feel I'm living, it's, it's more, I'm more fulfilled with the, um, with the uh, women that are in my life because they actually are friends and I, I value them in the proper perspective. I think hopefully, hopefully they feel that as well. And it's not a thing where I'm kind of, cause I'm not torturing myself either anymore. Right. I'm not pining after people who I'm not going to ever have a relationship in that way. Um, and that, that, that strangles you as well when you want something that you can't have and you're kind of, you're, putting them in a bad spot but you're also putting yourself in a bad spot as well um so it's just as much about you know fixing the energy within yourself and valuing yourself as much as it's valuing them um and so uh, did i answer your question i i guess you so you, you kind of answer, you answered my question and for me and i was gonna say just to like wrap it around a little bit further is like for me my oldest friends or my oldest best friend she was we were 10 years. We were best friends for about 10 years. And I still have, well, two of them. Two of them were my best friends of 10 years. And, you know, as kids, because we were in high school together, us as kids, we, I was the, the friend that like, hey, I got this girl. I need to figure out how to handle her. Or, hey, I got this girl and I got this girl at this other high school and things like that. I need to help figure out how to navigate through all of that. And me as the arrogant adolescent I was at the time, I needed them to level-head me for a while. And that being in mind, like, I, I will also agree that my past relationships with women were not the best. Um, in high school, I didn't really care. I wasn't the kind of person that you wanted to be in because I was going through stuff with family. So my thing was, I'm not gonna show any feelings. If you want me to say something, I'll say what I need to say. I'm going to be too brutally honest and be an asshole about it and not let you try to navigate or expect anything of me. And I felt like I kind of had that shell of a, uh, the shell of an idea of what that was in a relationship until I got to college, until my friends had to sit me down and be like, no girl will date you if you're going to just bottle up your emotions, set it aside and not speak on them. And expect them to give you the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so then my, my shift went to being Captain Save. Uh, that's, I'm just going to say it that way. I went from, okay, I'm not going to be as emotional to being completely emotional and trying to be the daddy of, or the father figure for them. And it kind of, I felt like that kind of ruined a lot of potential relationships that I had because I'm, too busy fixing things. Like my thing is, I love fixing crap. My idea oh. is to say, oh. I'm gonna fix the shit out of something, and I'm like, hey, I fixed it. I yeah. fixed it. And so I feel you. That's that's. I am definitely Mr. Fix It, and that's with all my relationships. And I've really had to tone it down and realize that some people a are not asking you for advice. No, <laughs> B, you can't fix them even sometimes if they are asking for advice. And I think that's really. Um, I used to pride myself on being like Mr. Relationship Advice Guy. Yes. I think I'm a decent person to give advice from the standpoint of I'm actually listening to you and formulating ideas based off what you're telling me as opposed to having this preconceived notion of what should happen. And so I, I do think I'm decent at giving advice in that way, but I, I, sometimes I, I take it too far because I am obsessed with the puzzle, with fixing things. Yes. So I definitely know where you're coming from in that regard. I definitely have been attracted to a few women in my time that I was just like, I need to fix them. They need to be fixed. And that's not what they were wanting. Even if, even, and it's, it's, it's kind of this idea of being in love with being in love in instead of being yes. in love with a specific person that you want to be with. 
and that is another thing that you know I specifically had to get over. I was I'm a very like romantic rom com kind of guy, and so for <laughs> a long time, instead of being focused on finding someone who I was compatible with, I was focused on finding someone. The idea to of love. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that was me for years. I can say since almost. I could say almost like two or three years ago, I was the idea, I was infatuated with the idea of love. I was infatuated with the idea that I wanted somebody to fall in love with me and I would do whatever it took to make them fall in love with me, right? And I feel like now with my mom, my best friend, who I, one of the best friends that I still have, and the other relationships of the women that I have around my life, teaching me that you cannot do that. Women want somebody who is compassionate, somebody who will able to be a partner with them or in just any kind of relationship, whether it be with women and just other people in general, you have to show compassion and be able to understand and navigate feelings without showing sympathy. And differentiating the word sympathy with empathy means so much and means so much a lot with your relationships, whether it's friendships, dating and anything in the nature, because for you, like you said, I, I'm always been like, oh, well, I had a bad day at work. Okay, how we can fix that? Or, oh, well, I, I feel like you're not listening to me. Okay, I am listening to you, and I'm going to try to change something that you didn't ask for. I'm going to do above and beyond to answer something that you didn't ask about because I want to be like, hey, I'm A+. plus, you know. And learning and unraveling that, and because I feel like that's a, a stigma that, I've learned from the past generations of men that's in my family, right? It's never been about, hey, listen. It's all about what can you do to fix the problem? And that's how it's always been taught in my family. And I've always been this idea of a fixer. But you, I had to realize specifically to, like last year, I can't be a fixer. I have to listen. I have to comprehend what they're saying and say, I, I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to help navigate through that. If you want me to, if you do not, I can't, I understand that, but I'm here as an open vessel to listen to your emotions, listen and take your emotions better into account than just saying my selfish needs of what I believe is love is our relationship, you know? And that took so many years for me to unravel and break out of. It was, it was a rough process, but I finally learned that and it's helping me a lot in the relationships I have with women. And I can honestly say that it's getting better. I still have a road. I would say I still need to recover from, but it's still awesome to know that I'm way better than where I was like 10, almost five, three, even three years ago, you know? Yeah, I think, I, I truly think it is, uh, it is kind of a problem within specifically, I guess problem with all men, uh, you know, it's just the way that society is kind of teaches us to be uh, in, a, in a patriarchal society you're expected to be kind of strong you're expected to not be an emotional guy I was a I was a crier as a kid and I used to always get made fun of for being a crier as a kid yeah. um, and so that kind of taught me that I needed to not show that those emotions and so for a long time instead of showing those emotions I kind of bottled them up and then I kind of became known as this very calm guy and then eventually that kind of built up and then I was I would I would explode sometimes like I wouldn't be a lot but sometimes I would just get to the point where if it was like these minute things would set me off and then out of nowhere, I would kind of explode. Um, uh, it happened one time when I was on a date uh, with uh, my, my ex, my ex uh, girlfriend, we were on a date and my friends were there. It was kind of like they were meeting her for the first time and they were okay. just they were trying to get on my nerves on purpose. And so that frustrated me, but it really wasn't a big deal. And then I just blew up and I took everybody home. I ended everything early. I took everybody home. I just became Mr. Grumpy and just, and I literally almost torched our relationship with that one decision because I was just so angry with how, with how they were trying to get on my nerves on purpose. And so uh, all that, all that to say that I just think that there is a, a prevalence in, in the United States, but specifically within the black community that we're supposed to be very strong, very masculine, uh, very, you know, kind of bottled up, not show your, not show your emotions. And so that leads to, to problems. And then as you said, with the kind, there's kind of a hero complex that adds onto that where you're like, it becomes more about you looking good than you actually solving, uh, not even solving or listening and, and feeling and being empathetic. Um, yes, like you said, yes. the difference between empathy and sympathy with sympathy, 
Like, you're like, well, I don't really understand what you're saying, but I suppose that's terrible. That's not good. With empathy, you're actually listening, and you're like, oh, I, I, I can't imagine what that's like, but I understand by, by your emotions and by what you're telling me that this is, this is not good. And so hopefully, you know, either you can fix it or you, you've gotten that energy out of your system so that you can move on with your day, or we can come up with a solution together. Uh, but sympathy will definitely lead you more to, well, I must, I must fix this, even though I don't understand. Whereas empathy is more like, oh, okay, I, I, I don't quite understand this maybe, but I, I do understand that something is wrong with you and that's important to me. And so let's, let's see what, what, what needs to happen next in terms of what you want to do and how you want to handle the situation. And that's really where, the best advice comes from. I, I get back to what I was saying earlier about giving advice. I found that when you try to give someone an advice, they're probably not going to listen to you if it's just what you think. Yes. If you talk to someone, they half the time they already know what they want to do, and half the time they're just looking for you to reinforce that that's a good idea. And generally, you should do that because their idea is what they want to do, and they're probably going to do it anyway. So you might as well just come up with the best way to do that idea whether it's like, you know, problem solving some of the issues that might come up with the idea, but then nine times out of 10, they're going to do that idea, whether you endorse it or not. So you might as well figure out the best way to, to do that. And I, so people are always like, Oh, you give good advice. Like I don't really give good advice. I just listen to you. And then whatever you want to do, I try to back that play as best as I can, unless it's something really terrible. And then we're going to, we're going to scrap it. But for the most part, I'm just listening and trying to figure out what you want and what you want is what you need to do. Uh, Cause that's is life's too short not to be doing the things that you want to do as long as they're not hurting people, of course, or, you know, something outlandish. But, you know, if you want to go for something, you should, you should go for it. And nine times out of 10, people just kind of want that reinforced that they, that what they, that their feelings are valid. And I feel like that's a lot of people in nowadays. Right. And I feel like, especially during this time in COVID, we're going to kind of twist, not twist, but we're going to kind of change the conversation a little quick. But like what you were saying, I feel like a lot of people, especially when I was in college, asked for a lot of my advice. And like you said, I would be like, well, no, that sounds stupid. What the hell are you doing? And, you know, and I've learned that I can't just be an angry person and say, no, you can't do this. I think this is a smart idea. Like you said, I have to either reinforce what you're saying, or be like, that's a great idea. I just want to bring something up to your table, just going to bring up questions to help you understand why I might think that it's a problem, but I don't want you to think that I'm just against it. I'm going to still support you with the decision you're going to make, depend if you're not going to hurt anybody, if you're not going to kill anybody, or anything of that nature, or something that's just going to make you look stupid. I am going to ask you the questions that needs to help you make sure you're reinforcing your situation or reinforcing the decision you make, right? And with that being in mind, I would I would ask you about like, basically we were talking about like human nature and these stigmas that we as black men in the community have this stereotype and things of this nature. Not to try to make a moral ambiguity, make moral ambiguity notions on the podcast, even though I'm, I'm okay with that at this point. In terms of where we are now and in, the situation we're in with whether it's the pandemic, whether it's whatever going on with towards the, the, the election or just how anything of this is being handled where in regards to the football players playing or anything like that. In terms of our human nature, do you think, and I've been struggling with this question for about a week or two now because of everything that's going on. Do you feel like our inept idea of human nature, at least in American society, is very problematic and if you think it's problematic in what aspect because this is something I'm gonna I'm I'm give you an example for me for me one of the biggest things that I'm really pissed off about for the last two weeks was the idea of the capitalism in sports and entertainment right and like we were talking about just a moment ago briefly on the beginning of the podcast I'm still pissed that UT decided to have 18,000 kids almost 20,000 kids go out and go to the football game this past Saturday, right? And I'm mad that the fact that our Texas, Texas Board of Education is literally letting teachers go to campus where they know that they're not regulating how they're doing COVID testing and how they're basically making sure that their parameters for the teachers who are giving their lives every day for these kids aren't covered. And that's why we have 
over 600 teachers already in the state of Texas tested positive for COVID and about a fifth of them already passing away, you know? And for me, I'm, I'm really mad about the idea of the capitalist human nature because the only reason why this, there's kids going to school is because they say that they have to keep the funds going and the only way they can keep the funds going is to keep the schools open. And the same thing for UT, which I don't agree with UT because we're one of the biggest and most expensive institutions in the nation and we have one of the biggest baggers in the nation, but that's a whole different conversation. And you still do not care, you know? And so for me, that's why I was like, do you see any aspect of the human nature in our society, today's society, with all that's going on as a problem? And what aspects? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is is yes. The society is, is very problematic. Um, the problem with why it's so problematic is that people don't want to have hard conversations uh, they don't want to think about their contributions to how society is problematic. They don't want to understand the systems in place that make society uh, uh, problematic. And um, the reason that I wanted to talk about, you asked me what I wanted to talk about, right? That's yes. And I, I said, I said, relationships, friendships, human nature. And the reason I said that is because it's kind of an overarching life principle for me on how human nature is. Uh, humans, because of how we survive on this planet. Humans are incredibly self-interested. It's the default programming. 110%. It's the default programming is that everyone is self-interested. Now, people tend to think of that as very binary, like it's good or it's bad or, you know, they tend to think of it as very static, one way or the other, when yeah. really it is all about how you imply, apply those kind of self-interests. For instance, whenever you do something for, for somebody else, you know, obviously you also want to help them. But nine times out of 10, there's also something that you were thinking about getting out of the deal as well. Um, and so, you know, being self-interested isn't inherently a bad thing if you learn how to apply it correctly. And in this society, being self-interested is rewarded <laughs> with no matter almost what the expense that others is, because that's how capitalism works in this specific society. Capitalism socialism, neither of them are inherently good or bad. It's how you apply them. And in this society, greed is rewarded. The more you can profit off the back of somebody else, the easier it is for you to come up in the world. You know, you, you, you push down labor costs, right? And that increases profit, profit margin because the less you have to pay for labor, the, uh, the bigger the profit margins. The, the, whole, the whole country is built on the idea Right. You know, I don't know if you've seen Hamilton, but I've been quoting this. A while. Yes. And it's, you know, a civics lesson from a slaver. Hey, neighbor, your debts are paid because you don't pay for labor. Right. The whole yes. the whole system is built on that idea. And basically along the way, it's reinforced itself at every turn. We freed the slaves, but then we kind of put in these laws in place so that they still were subservient to uh, to, to the white, to white people. Then we put civil rights. Uh, then we put. Uh, civil rights laws in place, but then redlining happened. Then, uh, you know, all sorts of other tactics. Private funding for prisons and, yeah, yeah. you know, all that. The, the yeah. industrial prison system happened. The, people are still getting free labor in different ways. They've just moved the goalposts so that it'll look good to common society. And so, you know, Black people get fed up with that, but it's literally the whole way. We have not solved this problem ever. Black people have been in impoverished situations the entirety of, the, of, of this nation being built, but that's because the whole nation is built off of self-interest, right? In Japan, they have a more communal society where everyone's kind of helping out. We're not seeing these kind of pandemic problems in Japan because they want to help their fellow man out. That's how the mindset is. What you incentivize in your society is the things that will come out of that society. And when people are already self-interested, that's... You know, that when you also add capitalism on top of that, you're just kind of stoking the fire. And so in, in my life, to kind of take it back to, to, to me a little bit, it, when I figured out that it, either I should be doing something because I, I want to do it, I, if I'm helping someone, I should want to help them, and whether yeah. I get something back for that or not is beside the point. If I was doing it to get something back, then I was doing it for the wrong reason. I know that kind of contradicts a little bit of what I said when I said people tend to have some self-interest in why they help people, which is still kind of true, but, you know, nuance and things of that nature. We don't have to parse that point. <laughs> but, uh, 
well, once I became, once I stopped expecting people to be me and have my sensibilities and to see things exactly how I want to see them. And if I do something for you, you're going to do the exact same thing back. Once I freed myself from that kind of prison, life got a lot better because I was like, if I'm helping someone, it's because I care about you and I want you to have this and I don't expect it back. But I'd also am not living in weight of, well, they're not going to help me that same way. And so now I'm aggrieved because, you know, I, I gave them advice, but when, when I need to talk to somebody, they're not there for me. It's like, no, no, I have other people who I can talk to. If you need advice from me, that's cool. I'll go over here if I need advice because you're not going to be that person for me. And that's fine. And I think a lot of people get pressed with that kind of stuff because they don't understand how humans think and how humans are incentivized to do things for themselves first and foremost and that again that's not necessarily a bad thing in this society we kind of make things it's all good or it's all bad like socialism oh socialism is completely evil it's like well no no if, uh if it's run by fidel castro then yeah okay it's probably bad if it's run by a, a venezuelan dictator then yeah it's probably not going to go well if it's run like in canada or if it's run like in in sweden it, it's going to go a lot better like Every, we need to get out of the idea of these binary mindsets where things are either all good or, or all bad and there's no kind of nuance in the middle. And that's where I think society uh, fails because this society, I, I should say, is yeah. that a lot of the nuance in these conversations is lost. Uh, we see it with racism uh, every day. It's like, well, I can't be racist because I'm not a Klansman. It's like, well, no, you can't. <laughs> you can't. You're racist. We all have some kind of if you're a guy, you probably have some kind of sexist ideals that you need to you need to reckon with every day. If you're if you're a white person, you probably have some kind of racist ideas that you need to wrestle with every every day and, and try to work on that. And th that's another thing that I've tried to live by is that, you know, people like to be nice, but being nice isn't the goal. Being a good person is the goal. It's yes. easy to be nice because you, you can be fake and you can be nice. Being a good person is hard and you have to work at it every day and people don't want to think about that people want being a good person to be inherent to their them so they have the inherent self-value but no being a good person is a choice and you have to actively make that choice every single day and if you're not making that choice you're going to go astray and i agree with that wholeheartedly because i feel like every day you have most people not most people almost everybody on the planet has a choice of being having good moral ambiguity or being self-interested, right? And for me, like how I feel about what, what's going on with the, I would say the grotesque version of what our capitalist society is doing now, it's all about, okay, I need this money cash flow going, right? I need my self-interest to keep populating and keep growing and keep moving. And I don't care who I hurt, right? And I feel like that's where most of my issues come into play with how our society has been handling this pandemic this entire time. It's literally the fact that we're fighting so many different things, but yet, like you said, we're, we're, we're as, as marginalized people, and I'm not just talking about black people, I'm talking about the marginalized people in general, have been severely affected by this, right? And I'm going to go back off of what I saw in Houston almost two weeks ago, where the judge sent out thousands of ejection letters, right? Eviction letters. And these evictions are going for people who are in low-income housing, what they have to do. They're getting kicked out. And now Houston has one of the biggest homeless, I mean, homeless uh, population that Houston has ever saw in its, in its history of its city, right? And seeing things like that, seeing people's self-interest instead of basically just being a decent human being and being like, hey, there's a terrible global pandemic that's going on right now and people's jobs have been affected. Like you and me, I got laid off six days after my birthday let's be completely transparent i've my birthday was on the 15th i found out that i was getting laid off on the 21st and i officially got my day off i officially got laid off on the 27th right and we i had to learn how to navigate through that and it was only by the grace of the people that was around me to help me navigate through that but a lot of people wasn't able to and for like you were saying if we had uh, arguably in my opinion and this might be a hot topic if we had a better socialism or a better fit system in what we have now i feel like there wouldn't be as many people homeless right now there wouldn't be a terrible unemployment rate like 
we say that, you know, we had 3 million jobs, but we have 30 million jobs lost in the last six months. And for it to be almost 180 something day, I lost count. That's how I know, like it's been bad. For over six months being in quarantine, seeing the underbelly of how terrible some of the nature was in our system, it's been a really eye opener. For me, like to give backstory, I'm a kid from Southeast Texas, right? And you probably heard stories in UT about like how like there's two cities in, in my Southeast, Southeast Texas where as a black person, you can never stop at night. Like you cannot literally stop at night. If you, if you do, you will like, you have to worry about your life. Right. And, you know, seeing that and being in that environment was like, okay, that was back when I was a kid. And, you know, you're like, okay, I can just let go of that. And now, you know, we talk about it since we were in college, since we were kids, like not kids, but when we were able to have these kind of discussions, these deep thinking conversations, we were able to have this navigation of, hey, we can understand that some of these morals are wrong, right? And I'm learning to choose to be better. Like we talked about, about our relationships. We chose to be better. And for me, it's just frustrating that the self-interest in the middle of a pandemic has not shifted at all and it's gotten worse and for me that's what kind of bothers me about the idea of where we are right now and i want i want it to be better you know and i want it to strive to be better and i want us to take it one day at a time and just be morally better to one another right and i feel like being cooped up in your houses for six months is kind of showing the gears and how actually things and people's human nature is actually showing out and it's kind of eye-opening again but I shouldn't be as eye-open as I am but neither here or there and I feel like that's something that I, I struggled with for at least the last month right whether it was the Black Lives Matter movement all the way in July or June about Ahmaud Arbery and the others that were in like Breonna Taylor you know I I it bothers me that I still have to navigate through all that while in a pandemic and wondering where my next paycheck is coming. If I'm going to be able to pay for my apartment, if my landlord will just be like, you know what, it's time for you to leave. Cause I don't care anymore. You know, I don't care that you're going through something. I need my money and I need to get you out, you know? And it's, it's frustrating. Um, it's really frustrating and it's, it sucks right now. And I, I completely agree with you. I feel like us as people have to have a choice every day to be a better person or make make decisions that aren't just for self-interest, more or less. More about like, hey, will these decisions I make help somebody out? Or will these decisions I make make somebody's day better? You know? And it's it's hard it's hard for me to like grasp that I have to have these conversations with people every day, you know, but the way that our society is right now, it feels like I have no choice, you know? Yeah. It's like the higher up on the hierarchy that you are, the more important I think it is for you to be more self-aware and to have more of a stance where you're going to try to be concerned with how your decision-making affects other people. Um, because some people don't have the choice to, I, it's, I've been, I've been wrestling with this a lot as well lately is that it's a very privileged position for me to come at it, to be like, well, I can make the choice to be good every day. I don't have obstacles in my obstacles, obstacles in my <laughs> way. I don't know why I can say that word. I don't necessarily have obstacles in my way to prevent me from, from fulfilling, from the, fulfilling that. Yes. Self growth. Right. Um, for instance, I was blessed when I lost my job. I have a, I have a mom who's pretty well off at this point in her life. She's retired, and she was able to give me aid. Not everybody has that. Some people, exactly. when they lose their job, they have to resort to some some things that could be unsavory because those are their only options. Uh, that people that people like to talk about crime in in Chicago or crime in the inner city. Well, crime happens because those are the only choices that those people have. The limit of access of resources once once you're in survival mode, that's when self-interest will kick in. So if you're higher at the top and you can make those decisions to be a good person, um, you know, let's just call spade a spade with great power comes great responsibility. 
call Uncle Ben here. If you, if you, or, or we could quote the Amazing Spider-Man. If you can do good things, you have a moral obligation to do those things. No, yes. um, <laughs> seriously, the more privilege that you have, the more important it is for you to wield that privilege. Yes. Uh, um, and to think about how, you're, how you, you affect others. And I don't think as a society we impart that, those values enough. Um, we don't bake that into the cake of capitalism. Capitalism in and of itself doesn't have to be bad. I don't necessarily prefer it, per, per se. But capitalism can work. But it has to have regulations to account for the fact that people are, again, are self-interested. If you de- when you have no regulations, the power structure is incentivized to just roll over the little guy. And yes. that's why when people, I, I was, you know, I kind of make fun of libertarians. They're always like, regulation, deregulation, deregulation. I was like, well, you understand the only reason that I have rights as a person is because of regulations, right? They regulated the fact that you guys are just going to make laws to do whatever the hell you wanted. And so we had to basically add laws on top of the already existing laws that should have, you know, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, that should have already given us rights, right? But because they didn't really see it that way, we had to add additional regulations for it to be a norm. To force people to do us right. And so that's kind of what regulations are. And that's what you need in a capitalist society, because if, if left to their own devices, people will hoard all the money they can. And there's nothing to stop that, right? And so higher the higher amount of privilege that you have, and you know, I come from a pretty well off background. It's not like I'm not I don't want to act like I'm rich or even upper middle class, but I'm 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 well enough to where I can make sound decisions all the time. And so I I try to take that responsibility. I don't I try not to take that responsibility lightly. Yes. But but, you know, a, a lot of people, I feel like other people. Uh, do take that responsibility. Like, and it can be simple things. And, uh, you know, I walk around sometimes and it's like people will just run into you. Like, like they don't, yes. that they can just move to the side and step, and step away. And as a black person, I think we're always aware of how we affect others and how we, uh, like, if you see a, a black person's not going to do that. A black person is gonna see a person, and they're gonna they're gonna move out of the way. But a white person might just run into you, and I'm just gonna call, I'm just gonna say that's just the truth, man. Because they okay. don't have to be aware of the situations around them, and they don't always have to be aware of how their actions affect other people. And that's baked into the cake of how they are raised, either either unconsciously or consciously. Meanwhile, you know, black people have to walk on eggshells all the time, so we are kind of aware of what. Where we can and where we can push a pull on certain we're sources. We're naturally more empathetic, and I'm not saying we're perfect or you know we're deities or anything like that. It's not the case. I definitely have things that I fail at all the time. I definitely sometimes am not as aware as I should be of how I'm affecting others. But I do think there's a little more empathy and a little more uh, situational awareness baked into the cake just based off how we have to move through life. And I agree with that. I completely wholeheartedly agree with that. I feel like. We, we as people have to learn how to, if we have the privilege to, not everybody does, but I feel like us as people have to take our privileges and learn how to use our privileges for the right reasons. You know what I'm saying? And being able to have, again, friendships and relationships that able to fact check me and be able to check my privilege, right? As a black male, like I do have privileges. Now, not a lot of them, I'm going to be completely honest, but I do have privileges that I need to check on myself and I have, I feel like an I'm an obligation also to be able to do the exact same to others. Right. And I feel like here in society, we should be able to acknowledge and make each other accountable. Right. And I feel like that's something that we have lost in these last few months and we pick and choose who we accountable or who is accountable and what is accountability in this country. And we can go in a whole rabbit hole on that, but we don't have the time. But I, I feel like we, we as people have to learn to be better, you know? And I feel like this was a great opportunity for that to happen. And unfortunately, through majority of what we've seen in our society, I, I don't see any progress, but I am hopeful that things can change. And I feel like I'm still that hopeless romantic, like you were saying earlier in rom-coms, like I feel like there will be change, you know, whether it's next year, whether it's when I'm 40, whether it's like before I pass away or when I pass away, I feel like that change is coming 
I wish you'd be coming faster. I'm completely honest with you, but I, I can only hope at this point because as we talked about, we're not the same people. And as, as people of color and as people who are continuing to fight this fight and hold people accountable, no matter what it is, it's a non-ending fight for us. And I'm, I'm fairly grateful for being able to like have the privilege to be able to have, be able to walk across the street. And if I wanted to bump into somebody and do something like that, but I also have an an obligation and moral justice in myself to be like, I'm going to not do that, but also I expect you not to do the same, you know? So saying all that to say is like, I completely agree with you, Derek. I think, I think just to add on to what you said that I think we're, a couple of generations away uh, from really seeing a significant change. I don't know where that was going to correspond with our lifetimes or whatever, but I, I think it comes from how we raise our kids. Yes. Honestly. And I think a lot of people have been, I think in the nineties, a lot of people were raising their kids very kind of to be a little more self-interested than we, than we should have. And now we're, we're having to learn that the generation before us definitely got those kind of lessons and they are probably too far gone to unlearn a lot of that stuff. Uh, but the generations coming after us are starting to see, you know, kind of a different way. Things are starting to shift societally. Yes. And so I think we are starting to see the beginning of that shift. Um, it's, uh, you know, I hope we can keep the country together in the meantime <laughs> while we get rid of some of the older ideals. But uh, I do think that we, I'm hopeful in that regard that uh, the generations below us seem to get it. And then, you know, we're having children and we're imparting some of these lessons onto them, uh, teaching them how to be better men you know, teaching them how to uh, not take guff as, as, as women, to not be as, because, you know, women used to be expected to be very small and very seen and uh, not heard. And now we're starting to come out of that to where women are, are being taught, hey, you're allowed to be in this room and you, you, should, you should be as loud as you want to be um, yes. when you're in this room. And so I'm hoping that those ideals are, are kind of getting you know, pass along to the, to the, to the younger next three that'll make uh, the change that needs to happen. Uh, because that's where it comes from when you're, when you're in the, uh, the developmental stage of learning, uh, you know, when you're a kid, that's where these ideals really kind of sink in. And that's, that's not to say you can't change, you know, throughout your life, but it's a lot easier if you start from the base than if you're like, you know, like me. already built. Yes. When you're trying to unlearn some of this sexist nonsense at age 25. <laughs> <laughs> And that is true. I have to agree with that. Well, that's a great part to end it off on. I will say, though, before we go, I wanted to ask you, Derek, is there anything you're doing right now? I know you talked about that you have a podcast with you and your friends. Um, if you want to, you can definitely talk about that really quick and anything else that you have going on in the world right now. Uh, well, I am, a, I am, if anything, I'm a sh- shameless self-promoter. So <laughs> we'll take you up on this offer. Uh, we, we, uh, we're, we're pretty proud of what we do. We don't have a lot of listeners yet, but uh, we, I do have a podcast. It's called The Week Ended Take. That's uh, W-E-E-K hyphen E-N-D-E-D take T-A-K-E. Um, and, and, you know, basically the premise of the show is we take what we think is the most important sports topic of that week and we try to break it down more socially um we try to not we're not your typical sports show we're going to do x's and o's and all that kind of stuff but we want to see how sports is affecting society and how society is expecting uh, is affecting sports and so we we do that that episode those episodes drop on on monday uh there would have been one today but we had to take the week off that's neither here nor there and then on wednesday we come back with more of a sportsy type show it's called a midweek take and we just kind of have usually a mailbag or one specific topic that's a little more sportsy and a little more X's and O's. And then I'm producing a new podcast uh, with my friend who's a Cowboys fan, and it's called Trey Blanco's Podcast and Grill. <laughs> and so, the Cowboys, and so if you're a Cowboys fan, you'll want to you want to tune into that because he's he's a he's a pretty fiery guy. He's he's a he's a former football player, so he's knowledgeable about the game. And so that's what we got going. And then hopefully, pretty soon here, we'll have the weekend to take. Uh, dot com and that's where i'll hopefully be continuing my sports writing career uh doing some sports writing on that and talking about other societal topics uh so i appreciate you letting me get that get that plug in please support the podcast because we we, we're proud of it i was just gonna say and i'm i'm proud that i'm i'm excited for it i haven't i still have three episodes in my library right now on apple podcast 
I will definitely be getting to them by the end of the week. Just too much has been going on this past weekend, and I had to catch up on it. I just finished Umbrella Academy Season 2, Watch oh. All My Sports. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I highly recommend if you are um, if you watch Season 1, if you're wondering if Season 2 is good, highly recommend it. Best season so far. But without further ado, I will put – I was going to say I am going to put your link into the podcast into the description so if anybody wants to get to listen to, they definitely can. Um, and one last thing I just have to ask because, you know, you're my sports writer and I have to ask this as somebody who's been in the sports too, who you got in the finals? Oh, uh, it's definitely looking like it's good. I, I think we're going to get one of those old school traditional rivalries. I think it's going to be oh. Lakers Celtics. Oh, okay. man. I think, uh, I think LeBron's probably going to get him a, a fourth chip here. Um, I just, I was confident in the Clippers and their ability to go small and kind of mat and kind of make people play their game, but they seem to. You lost to the different Nuggets two games in a row, man. I don't know what's happening there. Maybe they'll get it together. You never know, but it's a little late in the season to really be getting it together. So I think the Lakers are a heavy favorite right now based off the matchups and what's going on. If you would have asked me before Sunday, I would have definitely said Lakers, Clippers. Clippers would have made the Western Conference Finals. Celtics is going to handle Heat, I believe. And I would have said Clippers and Celtics, but unfortunately, I have to agree with you. I think it's going to be one of the biggest traditional rivalries in the NBA, the Lakers versus the Celtics. I have Lakers in seven against the Celtics. I feel like Jalen and them could hold them off for about three games, but LeBron and AD is going to be too big for them. And, you know, I love I love that team, but I, I don't know. I, will LeBron get his fourth ring? We'll just have to see about that. I, I don't know. But the Celtics definitely have the defenders to make it an interesting series. So do the Clippers. Uh, you know, it would not surprise me if the Clippers get it together. But it's just the score. Yeah, I I just can't trust their offense right now. You know, sometimes <laughs> take the night off inexplicably. Sometimes you know, if Lou Williams isn't going off, that's a problem. And Lou Williams is a smallish smallish guy, so it's a little easier to kind of shut him down and such. So we'll see. Uh, but I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think the Lakers are kind of showing to be the heavy favorite at this point. So we'll see how it goes in about two weeks or no, three or four weeks. So, but anyways, Derek, I just want to say thank you again on being on the podcast, being my first guest. You are always welcome to come on. If you have any more topics you want to talk about, definitely shoot me up. We'll definitely be able to have any conversations you want to have. So thank you so much, Derek. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. And uh, we've got to have you on our podcast now. we got to show the love back. So I definitely appreciate you, man. You let me know, and I'll definitely be there. And that's all the time we have for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. There'll be more episodes weekly. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you guys next time.